Aaron, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. What a blessing to start off this day. You guys can have a seat worshiping the Lord. Hey, just want to welcome everybody, regardless of where you are joining us. If you're live here, thank you so much. If you're on the rooftop, God bless you. For those of you guys online as well, and we trust that we're going to have a, a great time today in God's Word. And, and here's the deal. I believe that God has something for every one of us today, not because I'm speaking, but because what I'm speaking about is God's Word. Can I hear amen? And God's Word is alive. And today we are in the second message of our series of Dancing on Eggshells. And I love this series. And I love that we're willing to talk about some things in the family dynamics that are a little tricky sometimes that, that people uh, don't want to really talk about. But we're going to discuss them. And today we're going to be talking about family feuds, right? Not the game show that I love so much, but family feud. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 37 today. And the message subtitle is God's faithfulness is greater than family faults. God's faithfulness is greater than family faults. And that's what we're going to be discussing today. Uh, Pastor Tim is out on a pastoral retreat that he gets to become refreshed and have a good time. He'll be back next week. But I'm not so much sure about his conference or retreat, to be honest with you. And if you're watching me, Tim, this is why. Most of my conferences are like in Santee, perhaps El Cajon, Pasadena, the fancy ones. Uh, he's in Hawaii right now. So I have some conferences coming up that I'm looking at as well that I'm excited to grow from. Uh, but Pastor Tim will be back next week. He says hello, so let's uh, be praying for him and Emily. But I'm really excited to dive into today's message. And we're going to be talking about family feud and, and, and God's family, really. Not only our immediate family, our, our nuclear family, our extended family, but also our church family. And it's interesting because, you know, Christ is our living hope. Can I hear Amen. Right? Christ is the Son of God. Christ was God incarnate. And, and Jesus, when he came to this earth, he got to pick his crew. Right? He got to go around and he had the pick of the litter. I mean, this is God, you guys, picking his team. And he could pick anybody he wanted in the whole world. Or as we said when we were kids, in the whole wide world. I don't know why he said wide. But when you're a kid, if you put wide in front of it, it really expanded it. In the whole wide world. He could have his pick. And who did Christ pick as we see, right? It wasn't first round draft picks as we saw this weekend with the draft, right? It was just fishermen. It was tax collectors. It was people that really, uh, people perhaps when he picked them might have gone, mm, him? The, the, the tax collector? Are you, uh, have you smelt fishermen, Jesus? That's who you're picking. And it reminded me of the draft this weekend. Now I'm a big football fan, and then the draft is, is really, really exciting because these players that you followed through college and maybe perhaps some of them through high school, and, and, and you've seen them, and now here's the big, big day where they get to become drafted. And 259 of them were drafted over this weekend. 
and it was a dream come true. But, but I would have chose, if I was Jesus, I would have chose like the draft experts. I would have had my Mel Kuyper Jr., right? I would have had my draft expert telling me about who's in this world. And in this city, this guy's the richest. Let me go after him. And in this city, this guy has the most influence. Oh, yeah. Who is he? Let me go after him. I pick you. And in this city, this guy's just the handsomest. And who doesn't want to be around beautiful people? You're coming with me, right? And this guy right here, he knows all the people through the city. He's politically correct, connected. And I would have started to build my team that way, just like the draft experts. But the draft experts, right, they really study, study their draft picks because they're going to invest millions of dollars into these draft picks. But you know what? They just look at them and they study the film and they studied every single play that they've ever done in college, every single rep they've studied. And they get evaluated according to their performance. Can I hear Amen. I got to play college football. I played at San Diego State back in the old days, 1990 through 94. And there was a saying that went, the eye in the sky don't lie. And it meant this, that everything you do, homeboy, is on film. Every missed tackle, every mistake, every bad call. Man, I used to hate after a bad practice or a bad game. You'd get in into the room and they'd put it on film and every single thing you did, every mistake was right there. And you got judged accordingly. And these draft picks, likewise, every play, every move. And on top of that, they interview their families. On top of that, they interview their coaches and teachers and jobs they had and how they behaved. And they scrutinize every single thing they do before they pick them. Because they only want the best. And there's a reason why. Because Trevor Lawrence, who was the number one draft pick from Clemson, a quarterback, if you've seen him, you know, he looks like sunshine from, what's the movie again, Scotty? Remember the Titans? Six, five, long hair, beautiful, strong arm. And if he wasn't attractive then, he's going to be more attractive after his $37 million contract. He just got a little bit more handsome, ladies. I'm just saying. Well, before they're going to invest those type of millions of dollars, right, they're going to really figure out who this guy is. But thank God that when Jesus came and when God builds his family, he didn't build it like that. He didn't survey and go, okay, who's the most talented? Who's the most gifted? Who are the most impressive people that I'm going to build my family with? Who's the first round draft pick? No, it wasn't like that. As a matter of fact, it's more like number 259 of the draft. Do you know his name? No. Why? Because he's the last guy drafted out of all of them. And his name is Grant Stewart. He played at Houston University, got picked up by Tampa Bay, and they have a nickname for this guy. And this is kind of cold-blooded because all of his life, since Pop Warner, this kid wants to get drafted. He goes to high school. He works hard. He gets to college and finally gets drafted and they have a name for him, the last guy drafted. It's Mr. Irrelevant. Mr. Irrelevant, and that's what he's known as. Why? Because when he's picked, people go, who? who, who who's Grant Stewart? What, him? 
And, and we're more like, I know I'm more like when God chose me to serve him, when God chose me to be grafted into his family, when God chose me to be used for his glory, I'm not like Trevor Lawrence. I'm more like Mr. Irrelevant. Marcus? That kind? But I'm so thankful for that, you guys. Because God chooses his family differently. And today we're going to be talking about God's family within our nuclear family, in our extended family, in church family. Some of the feuds that happen and, 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 and some of the crazy things that we go through. But let me set the tone right now, guys. My hope is that we would all be encouraged by today's message. Because I'm going to mention some family dynamics, some family elements that might be right within your family right now. Or if they're not within your family right now, you experience them like from your mom or dad or maybe your cousins or, or maybe your uncle or maybe your grandparents. But, but most likely some of these scary, dark, ugly dynamics that I'm going to share with you right now are going to kind of make you cringe a bit. But that's not the purpose of this. The purpose of this is to identify even though those elements exist in the family that we're going to discuss today, and even though those things are real, that through it all, God could be glorified. That through it all, those things did not disqualify this family from being used for God's glory. So let's go into it right now. We're going to be in the book of Genesis chapter 37. Genesis 37, we're going to be in verses 1 through 10. So Genesis 37, 1 through 10, and feel free to read along with me. It says this, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed in the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he was made and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He, he said to them, hey, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves in the grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf, my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bound down to me. And when he told this to his father as well and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? This right now is pretty much a crazy story starting to happen. This story today, let's take a look at some of these elements in this story today. This story today is full of pride, adultery, jealousy, hatred, lies, human trafficking, betrayal, attempted 
murder. Hmm. How's your family? Is it perfect? Probably not. Is it this jacked? Hopefully not. But this is where God is going to write his story. Let's take a look at who Israel is because this is the birth of Israel here, you guys. Let's take a look at some elements right here. Where did Israel come from? Because that's what we're dealing with right now, and that's this family. And this next slide will show us where did Israel come from. Well, Joseph's dad's name was Jacob. Everybody say Jacob. Jacob's name was turned to Israel. Let's pause right there. Jacob had a father named Isaac. Everybody say Isaac. Isaac was the guy that Abraham was going to sacrifice. Isaac's father is Abraham. We know Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Had many sons at far right hand, left hand, right foot, right. You guys know it. We can go deep and wide too. Don't make me go deep and wide on you. Because there is a fountain that's flowing deep and wide. And I'll sing it if I have to. But so we have Abraham, we've got Isaac, we've got Jacob. The people of Israel don't exist at this point. Are you guys following me? Then Jacob's name is turned to Israel as he wrestles with God. And Israel, Jacob, has 12 sons, hence 12 tribes of Israel. Well, this sounds kind of really odd for God's people to have this story. This sounds kind of like counterintuitive when you think of how holy and righteous God is. And then you think of how he started. Well, we've got Jacob had two wives. And each one of those wives had a maidservant that within the stories gave their maidservants to, for Jacob to have children with because they wanted sons. He had two others, and they were Bilhah and Zilpah. And through that, there was 12 sons through four women, Joseph being the 11th. I'm no Dr. Phil, but drama's coming, right? Drama is coming if you have 12 sons with four different women. I've got two sons with one woman, and there's plenty of drama. Can I hear amen? Honey, can I hear amen? There you go. There's the proof. And yet, this is, this is where God chooses to begin his story with Israel, with these people right here. Let's go to our next slide, Genesis 37, 16 to 20. So, Joseph is going to now go search for his brothers because his father asked him to go look for them. On the way, Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Wow. Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a furious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So we get the gist of the story. 
Jacob has Joseph, and it's with his favorite wife. It's his favorite son. He's showing him favoritism. He gives him this coat of many colors. He keeps him from working in the field. If you notice, the other brothers are in the field, and Joseph is at home, and he sends Joseph to go check on them. He gives him a bad report. Dad! You guys ever heard that? Mom! I don't know what's coming after mom, but it's never good. It's like when you kids, I have four kids, when they say, Daddy, smell this. No. No, son, I'm not going to smell that. Don't ever. After smell this, the answer should be, from one of your kids, the answer is always no. And so here we, is, here we are, Joseph, going after his brothers, and his brothers now hate him are now plotting to indeed kill Joseph or there's some real real issues going right now in this family and so we're going to take a look at the story and I want to unpack a couple things from the parent side a couple things from the children's side and a couple things just as a family, as whole. So that's where we're headed today, but all in the spirit of encouragement that if God could use a family like this, then sure enough, God can use us. Can I hear amen? Amen. And so here we go that, that they now have this environment with their kids. So my first encouragement are some lessons we can learn from this for the parents. So if you're a parent here, uh, a couple things. You're probably imperfect. You probably had parents who were imperfect. And so that creates certain dynamics, certain issues, certain things that are not ideal in your family. And my very family started off with some drama. My father, who I love dearly, is awesome, was a pastor was a Green Beret, attended my practices, taught me how to fear and love the Lord. I fear and love my father. I feared my father's mustache. Forget talking back to my dad. I wouldn't even talk back to my dad's mustache, let alone him himself. He was a great guy. And my mother, awesome, godly mom, but they were imperfect. My mom passed away about a year and a half ago, so I'm still in that kind of like... Going, wanting to visit her during the day, remembering she's not there, and then hearing songs and like breaking out crying and driving my minivan, and my kids are, Dad, what's the matter? And then it's a memory or just driving by something and starting to laugh and looking at pictures and, and just my heart being overjoyed with great memories, but my parents weren't perfect. And I remember my father met my mom when he joined the military, he left San Diego, the city he was born in. He joined the military at 18, and he joined the Army. And during that time, he became a Green Beret Special Forces guy, and they would do jungle training in Panama because Panama had jungles. And so driving through the jungle one time and running through the cities that are in the jungle, he sees this beautiful Panamanian at a bus stop. And my dad asked her if she needs a ride. You can see how smart my dad is because she's at a bus stop and he thinks she needs a ride. Right up here, guys. She says yes, and that ride eventually led to their marriage. And they were married 55 years or so before she passed away, a beautiful marriage. 
And so my dad marries my mom, Maritza, a little Panamanian, and he brings her back to the United States. Well, this is great. A beautiful, young, vibrant wife. The only problem is when he brought her back to the United States to his family, um, when he went to Panama, he was engaged. Yeah, oh, for sure. He was engaged. So my mom wasn't too well received when she came back. Oh, yeah, and he was engaged to his best friend's sister. Oh, my gosh. That's one of these. So, so drama started. Like, the family was birthed literally in drama. And, and the family worked through that, but there was all this residual pain with his best friend and his mom and dad and his cousins and his brothers. How could you? And so that didn't get things started off to the best for my family. But regardless of where you are, all of us have experienced some sort of dysfunction, some sort of unfortunate dynamics with our family. So parents, I want to encourage you this. First and foremost, that we can learn from this story is protect your marriage. Can I hear amen? Let me try this again. Protect your marriage. Can I hear amen? Right? So marriage is a gift from God. And men, you need to protect your marriage. Women, you need to protect your marriage. Men, dwell with your wives with understanding. Love them. Take care of them. Protect your family. Protect your marriage. Women, likewise, protect your marriage. And we have so many marriages that are falling apart, and it could use people saying, no matter what, I will love you. No matter what, I will be with you. And so we see that if Jacob would have protected his marriage and kept it from all these influence and his wives giving these women for him to sleep with, okay, honey, I guess if you say so. Imagine that conversation. But what came through it is turmoil. Now, could God use that and glorify it? Yes. Could God take any circumstance that you're in right now and if you give it up to him and ask for forgiveness? Absolutely. But you know what? He's also big enough for those dramas or those scars never to happen in the first place. And so to protect our marriages, parents is so, so key. To have a plan of, of how you're going to honor your wife, how you're going to protect your wife, of how you're going to honor wives, your, your men, and respect, and all that good stuff right there. And also, honor, honor your family. Nurture your family. Can I hear amen? Right? They got to be nurtured. They have to be taken care of. And you guys, we need to figure it out somehow because I know that California is expensive. I know there's bad influence. I know there's difficulty. But you know what? We cannot just let our family be raised and nurtured by the world. Because if we let our families be raised and nurtured by the world, they will turn out like the world. And if Joseph, if Jacob would have done a better job of, of protecting and nurturing his family as opposed to just picking out a favorite and just, and just doting on him, it wasn't right to do. And all these frustrations and all these bad dynamics happened. When I was uh, uh, just newly married, my wife and I were married for less than a year, I think, and, and, and then so I left what I was doing and 
I felt the calling to go into ministry. So I went into full-time ministry, and it was, it was great. But the difficulty was I was very young, and I was very immature, and, and, and what they were paying me was very little. And we were kind of like, oh, this is fine, because my wife worked at Callaway Golf at the time. Uh, she studied business with me at San Diego State, and so she was starting off her young career, thriving, doing well, great compensation. And so then we had Diego, my, my firstborn. We have four kids. We have a 20-year-old in college who's a sophomore. We've got a freshman in college. She's a, the freshman's a freshman. That's how it happens. And then I got a junior in high school and a seventh grader. So we have four, four young kids. And so when Diego was born, uh, we kind of didn't have any options, we thought. Okay, what are we going to do? I work, you work, let's find, let's find a daycare, right? It was kind of just a logical choice. And so we did that and until about a month into it, guys. Uh, we found out every day my wife would cry. Her heart would be broken. And, and, and every day my son Diego would, would cry as an infant. He wanted his mother, he wanted to be nurtured by and then every day my heart would be broken too. And so at about a month into it, we thought it would fade away and we'd get used to it. And, and I know some families aren't able to do this, so it's not, it's not a message on that. It's more of a message on fighting the nurture in your family and figuring out. And even though on paper we couldn't make it happen, I think I was making about $30,000 as a pastor. And my wife was probably making three times that. So we had no choices, we thought. And finally we... We talked, and then I, and we said, Tracy, you got to quit your job. And it wasn't from a Latino quit your job woman, right? It's from her best friend and seeing her heart being broken of going, we can't live like this. Well, how are we going to figure it out? She's an accountant because it didn't match on paper. We're like, we don't know, but God will help us. And sure enough, we took that huge leap of faith to kind of go, Now what, God? Within that week, she got a phone call from a former student of mine's parents that owned a construction company who said he needed an accountant. It was part-time. We made a lot less money. We ate a lot more peanut butter and jelly, right? But as I said before, I don't need much. All I need is beans and rice and Jesus Christ, right? So we had that. Fortunately, beans and rice are cheap and Jesus is free, so we got, well, that was good. And then we're like, next thing he knows, they're setting her up, allowing her to work from home. She starts building her career from home in, in a way that we never saw happening. And all along these years, through her being a nurturing mom and building a career and, and me like leaving the business world because I was traveling too much to be around, we've made a lot of sacrifices and on paper it just didn't make sense. Are you guys following me? But we've been available to nurture our kids. And God nurtures us. God wants us to make that time for him as well. So families, and this isn't a message to after this, you quit your jobs and move. And perhaps that's the solution, but that's not the message. It's this. Find a way, parents, to nurture your children. Find a way for you guys to be the biggest influences in their lives. And it's not too late. Because wherever you are in your journey, as we've seen in this family, God can take those things and redeem it. Can I hear amen? Amen. So parents, you know what? Protect your marriages. Nurture your family. Listen to this statement here, please. When we disregard God's design 
and purpose, we maximize damage and minimize his blessing. Let me say this again. When we disregard God's design and purpose, we maximize damage and minimize his blessings. So God has a plan. God has a design. God has a purpose. But when we ignore that, things start going awry. And this story, when the family starts to engage betrayal, because that's not part of his plan or design, when the brothers start to consider hatred, start to consider murder, when the kids go to their parents and lie to them, when the sexual immorality creeped into that marriage, all these things are not part of God's design and purpose for the family. Once again, can God redeem it? Absolutely. But when we engage in those activities, we maximize the pain and we minimize the blessing. If I could choose pain or blessing, I'm going to choose blessing. Can I hear amen? If I could choose thriving or just barely getting by, I want to choose thriving. And thank God we've got a God that will allow us to do that. You know, back to our imperfections, though. God can still use them even though we are imperfect. God has a design. When my dad married my mom and they came to the States, one of the things I used to love about my mom was her imperfect Spanish. She spoke like this with a big Panamanian accent, mijo, venga aquí, mijo. I still remember her broken English, which I love. And she would take uh, 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 different phrases and she would mash them together. Like she would take the sooner the better and better late than never and magically turn it into mijo, the sooner the later. Wow, that's deep, Mom. The sooner the later, right? And she didn't have a perfect grasp of, of all the English words. And for some reason, I remember this story when we were in our van, not our minivan, back in the day when families had vans. Not mini, like they were vans. And she was driving the van, and I'm clowning around with, with the, my friends in the car, and I'm sitting right in the first seat of the van, and, and I start banging, doing a beat on the, on the wall, the minivan's, the van's window. Right, and I think I'm cool, making my fresh hip-hop beat, and my mom's like, mijo, no mas, no more. It's full of our friends, and I say, mom, don't worry about it, our van is bulletproof. A pretty benign statement. Well, she's in there with her best friend that doesn't understand the language that well either. And she goes, ¿Qué? Which means what? And the lady's all, did you hear? This is all going on in Spanish. Did you hear what your son called the van? And my mom's like, what did he say? And she goes, he says it's bulletproof. What? How and then she grabs whatever's in the van, reaches back, and starts hitting me with whatever she can. How dare you say that this van is bulletproof? She had no idea what bulletproof meant. 
Imperfections. Imperfections. We all have them. But God wants more for us. And he can use those imperfections and be glorified through it. So those are our encouragements to the parents. Let's take a look at the next slide. Lessons for the children. One, avoid jealousies. Two is honor your parents. Now, we see how jealous and upset, full of hatred, his brothers became. Well, there's some ways that could have been avoided. There's some ways, some behavior that they could have embraced to avoid those jealousies. And I know families, there's all kinds of issues and dynamics. Siblings, I have a brother and I have a sister. And if we have fought and we have complained and we have argued and we've made mistakes. And for me, when I think about like my fights and arguments with my brother, the, mo the thing that comes to mind that was probably the worst was I gave him a wedgie. But not just any wedgie, guys. Not a super wedgie, <clears throat> but an atomic wedgie. An atomic wedgie is not only do you take the underwear and you lift it and hoist it high in victory as the underwear becomes wedged, but I also took it to the next level and gave him the atomic wedgie, which means I took the lining of his Hanes underwear and I ripped it off just to show him who was boss. And as he rolled around in pain, I took the strip of the underwear and I put it like a headband around me and danced around in victory. He was five years older than me. It was one of the greatest moments of my life. I'm not going to lie to you guys right now. But I don't recall ever my brother or myself plotting to kill each other, plotting to sell each other, into slavery. And within your sibling relationship, there's dynamics. But in general, guys, don't let our jealousies rule us. And jealousies come from insecurities. And if we behave and live through our insecurities and jealousies, guys, we will never be happy. And if we're always focusing on the things that we don't have, we can never be content as opposed to going, Lord, what is it that you have given me? God, what are the things that you have blessed me with? And focusing on those things. And sure enough, if we live like that, then that is something that will allow us to not let jealousies and hatred. Because can you imagine they were so jealous and so full of hate that they came to a point, guys, this is Israel. When we hear of Israel, this is the family. These are the 12 tribes, the 12 brothers coming to a point of say, let's kill our brother. I don't think you've been there in your family yet. But even if you have, we see a story of redemption through this. So siblings, children, don't live through jealousies. Also, another one is honor your parents. In this story, these kids lied to their father and their mother, saying that their son indeed had been killed. Could you imagine the pain? So it's different when we read this in the Bible and we read it just as a story. But apply this to your family. Take it away from like, we're on Sunday, we're reading a story, the pastor's talking about it, and if you have a brother or sister, bring it there. 
to where you and your siblings have taken your brother or your sister and have sold them into slavery. And you come back home and you told your mom and dad and you brought some bloody garment that they used. And you told her mom, dad, so-and-so was killed. Can you imagine that being in your family? The disobedience, the lies. And maybe we haven't told lies that big to our parents, hopefully not. But you know what? God wants us to honor our parents. Well, this can be kind of tricky, guys, because I don't know what kind of parents you've had. Maybe they're not worth honoring. Maybe they've abused you. Maybe they've abandoned you. Maybe they have discarded you. What does honoring look like for you? Well, perhaps maybe it looks like praying for them. Perhaps it looks like you getting on down on your knees and asking that God would change them. Maybe you have healthy parents, and maybe honoring your parents means like this, looks like this. Shut your mouth. Say yes, Mom. Say yes, Dad. Try to be kind to them. But I don't know what your family dynamics are, but this is what I do know. The concept of honoring your parents really pleases the Lord. And I know this family wasn't doing that. So children... And all of us are children in some capacity. Let's avoid jealousies. Let's honor our parents. Now, this story has a great, great happy ending, though. That through all these craziness that maybe you're thinking through your family's deepest, darkest secrets, and you're going, oh, Marcus, but you don't know. My dad... Marcus, but you don't know what my mom. Marcus, you don't know what I. Marcus, you don't know what my brother. Marcus, you don't know what my sister. Marcus, you don't know what my cousin. I can tell you, if I analyzed my family, nuclear, extended aunts, uncles, cousins, there's betrayal. There's adultery, there's abuse, there's lies, there's uncles dying through AIDS-related complications, there's uncles in jail, there's cousins' lives torn apart. And probably if you went down your family a couple Concentric circles, there's probably some of that as well. And you're right, I don't know. I don't know, but God does. But God does. So let's take a look at this right now. As this story comes to a conclusion, let's go to Genesis 45, verses 14 and 15. So before we read this, so the story goes on, and we don't have time to unwrap, but it's an amazing story as Joseph gets sold into slavery. And then Joseph ends up uh, just shining, but then he goes into jail, and then he ends up second in command somehow underneath Pharaoh himself, Egypt, the most 
powerful, affluent, influential nation in the world, this Joseph who was betrayed, this Joseph who was sold, this Joseph who was discarded in second in command essentially in the world. Underneath the Pharaoh and tells the Pharaoh about his dream and how seven years of, of, of great, great harvest is coming. Then seven years of famine and told the Pharaoh, this is what you need to do during the seven years of harvest. You need to collect, 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 collect. And during the seven years of famine, then when the whole world has famine, we're in a good spot. So the Pharaoh says, yes, I want you to execute it for seven years. He does that. And now the famine comes and the whole world that they know is in want. Where's Egypt standing with the glut of inventory, with, 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 with um, all kinds of opportunity and resources? So during this time, the world is coming to them trading in gold because what matters your gold necklace if you're hungry and you can't eat? What matters of your silver if you've got nothing in your belly? And so the whole world is coming, trading in their valuables, their resources, because they need wheat and barley and bread. So who comes but his family? His family comes. And can you imagine what was going through Joseph's mind when he sees his brothers, when he sees the very ones that betrayed him, when he sees the very ones that hated him, when he sees the very ones that couldn't speak one word to him of goodwill. And he sees them. And can you imagine what's going through his mind? And how do you feel when you see that person or, an, or, 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 or get involved with the person that you know has treated you poorly? And he has the power now, the second most powerful guy in the world. And he sees his brothers his betrayers, and this is what happens. Then he threw his arms around his brothers, Benjamin, and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping, and kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. So through a series of events, when he began to really reveal himself to his brothers, this is what he did. And here's our lessons for the family. Here's our lessons as a family. He forgave. He forgave them, and he honored God's design for the family. He loved them. And I tell you what, God has a design in part within that design of a family. I want you to hear this is forgiveness. Because you cannot have a successful family, whether it's your nuclear family, whether it's your church family, whether it's your extended family, if you don't have forgiveness, because that's built into the design of it that's necessary, because after that forgiveness came all these blessings that the Pharaoh said, hey, yo, Joseph, guess what? You got your families here? Don't worry. Choose the choicest land available. Choose whatever you want out of here, and I'll give you that land. And not only will I give you that land, but you know what? Whatever livestock you want and whatever resources you need, I will provide that for you. So Joseph forgives them, and he trusts the design 
of that family. And after that came the beautiful blessings. And and that reminds me of, of, of the design God has for our family. And if husbands, you could treat your wives the way God wants you to. And in wives, if you could treat your husband the way that pleases God. And if children, if you could honor your parents and treat your parents the way God has called you to do it, there's a design in that. And the world can take that design and they can warp it. Because watch any Disney channel, watch any commercial, watch anything, and you see things working against God's ultimate design for the family. God's got his design. And if we use it for that, how he intended, it's a blessing. This guitar is a nice guitar. It's not mine, it's Anna, so I'll be careful. Uh, And when you see it, she's strumming it, and it's leading us in worship. And it's worth a lot. But if I took this guitar... And someone threw a baseball at me, and I swung, and I hit the baseball. Would it hit the baseball? And sure, sure. If I took this guitar and was on a golf course and forgot my driver and decided to use this guitar as my driver, it would hit the golf ball and perhaps be, propel it a bit. If I took this guitar and I was on a raft and I forgot my oar and I used this guitar to submerge it within the waters, to push against the water, would the craft move forward a bit? Sure. But in every one of those scenarios, if this guitar is not used for its ultimate design, it's not good. And this guitar, if played and used like the design is supposed to. It's nice, it's beautiful, right? Because it was made for this, to be strong, to be played. Now let's do a little something though with one string and take even the design and tweak it and adjust it to where it's not the standard. You guys following me? It's not the standard for this guitar. There's a standard how these strings should sound. And then we can hear, still a guitar, sure. Yeah, but it doesn't sound quite as good. But yet, if we take that string and we tune it, and we place it to where it's designed to sound, then once again we have one tweak, one difference. I don't know why when I'm strumming, I want to sing all my exes live in Texas. I know it's not spiritual of me, but Texas is the place I really love to be. So here's the point, guys, as we close up. God's got a design for our family. Regardless of what the world tells you, regardless, regardless of what's on the Disney Channel, regardless of what's on the movies, what does God's word say about the design of the family? And if we do that and we embrace it, right, we maximize the opportunity for it to be blessed. But one of the key ingredients is that as we close up is here, as Joseph saw them, he ran to them. 
he forgave them. And I want to conclude with this statement about forgiveness. We can pop it up right there. Forgiveness is a key to unlock the door to God's blessing. Forgiveness is the key to unlock the door to God's blessings. So wherever you are today with your family, whether it's healthiest it's ever been, or whether you're hanging on by a string, I want to encourage you to with the forgiveness that God has given us as his children, that we too provide that forgiveness for people in our family and to unlock those blessings because once that happened, that's when the Pharaoh opened up the banks of blessings for Joseph and his family to where even today carrying on those residual benefits still have applied. And as we transition now into uh, taking communion, I just want to encourage us as we're, as we're hearing this song to reflect upon not all the dynamics in your family that are jacked up, because we all have them, but where are the places that even though it's difficult, that we can take that difficulty and say, here, God, here, God, here, God, and allow him to do his miracle in your family and if you haven't if you don't have your communion right now just slip your hand up we have some of our team walking around so as we spend time doing this I want you to reflect on God's forgiveness in your life and consider how can we apply that forgiveness to ourselves our families and to others